It's my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. James Metzger is the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's married to Melissa, and they have three children, Cademan, Noah, and Amelia. I met James about three years ago through a mutual friend who's here as well, um, John Hernandez, his wife Maritza, and their two daughters, Nikki and Natalie, are with us today. And John's the one who actually brought us together when he asked us to go to Columbia, South America to serve on a teaching team sponsored by Voice of the Martyrs. And so we developed a friendship. We've been on a number of trips together serving the persecuted pastors and their families. And James and I have some things in common as well. Um, we both like sports. Um, he's a a sports fan. He's going to tell you a little bit about his team, one of his teams, but I know that he likes uh, college football, so he likes the University of Michigan, and of course I like a team here in Florida and Tallahassee, um, but the thing is that we both not only have an interest in sports, we both have sports injuries, um, both from soccer, if you can imagine. Um, you know the story, most of you, about my arm, how I was in Honduras playing soccer and got injured. Well, James was playing soccer, and you'll hear that story as well, and injured his his knee, and we both had surgery. So during this process of recovery and rehab, we have been encouraging one another, and uh, we still have to have the arm wrestling match and the race to make sure that everything's working as it should. But there are so many things I could tell you about James. He is a devoted husband and father. He is a faithful pastor. He is a very good friend, has uh, an extraordinary sense of humor. But really the most important thing I could tell you about James is simply this. He loves Jesus, and he is deeply committed to following him. And so I'm really encouraged. I know you're going to be encouraged by his message this morning. So church family, let's welcome James to BBCC today. Well, good morning. My name is James. I, I graduated from Grant Elementary School suburban Detroit. Uh, I think I'm done. Uh, that's wonderful. Hey, it's good to be with you in sunny Florida. This is super glad I came this weekend. It's... Dudley, Dudley, I give thanks to God uh, for you, uh, remembering you in my prayers with great joy for your partnership in the gospel. I give thanks to God for you for uh, the, the way that you demonstrate service, uh, servant leadership uh, as we've traveled together, and I'm grateful for your faithful prayers for me and for my family over the years. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, as we uh, begin our time together, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks for the opportunity that we have to gather uh, together as a church family. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, the, the good folks that you've brought here this morning. Lord, we believe that you're uh, a sovereign God, and so I don't believe anyone uh, happened to stumble in here by chance. I think you have uh, this moment in store uh, for each and every one of us, and so we thank you. Uh, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Texas this morning as uh, there are moms and dads and uh, grieving the loss of sons and daughters. I pray that you would be uh, kind and gracious to them. Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Cuba who have lost uh, pastors and friends, uh, dads and moms, Lord, I pray uh, that you would be gracious to them. Lord, you are a global God and you are doing things around the world that uh, just would blow us away if we were to see it. 
And so I, I pray for our friends around the world this morning that you would uh, just extend your grace and your goodness to them. Uh, Lord, I pray for us as we open up your word this morning. I thank you that it's living, it's active. When it uh, goes out, you use it to accomplish your will. I'm so grateful for that. I thank you for uh, that promise. And so I, I pray now that your word uh, would go out. I pray that you would grant to your people uh, receptive ears. I pray that you would grant to your people uh, humble hearts to receive your word. God, we ask you to do in us what only you can do. I pray that you'd form and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus. Change us, God, for all of eternity. We'll give you all the glory and the praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Uh, do you know anyone in your life that um, you just kind of look at them and you think to yourself, you know, I, I kind of thought by now they would be further along. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like someone that you know in your life and maybe you wouldn't announce it to them. Maybe you wouldn't put it on Facebook or tweet about it. But you just, you look at their walk with the Lord and you just think, I, th I thought by now uh, they would be a little more mature. But do you know anyone like that? If, if you do, just look at me and, and just blink. Can you do that? All right, you're tracking with me. Um, now, if they're sitting next to you this morning, go ahead and raise your hand. No, don't put your hands down to do that. The reason I ask you that question is because there's someone in my life, quite honestly, that when I, I look at their life and their walk with God, I just think to myself, I thought by now they would be a little further along. And I have to tell you, it's a little bit awkward because it's someone uh, that I see quite often. And, you know, come to think of it, I actually see this person each and every day. As a, as a matter of fact, I, I see him every day when I look in the mirror. <laughs> you see, it's me. I've known the Lord for, uh, for quite some time, since I was a little boy, but there are times when I find myself thinking, James, I thought by now uh, you would be a little further along. Uh, I've been married for 17 years to uh, Melissa. I love my wife. She is an amazing, godly woman. And yet there are times in my life when I, I know what the Word calls me to do, to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, and yet there are times in my life where I go, man, is there anyone else on the planet more selfish than you? I think to myself, what exactly was she thinking when she said yes? I think to myself, you know, by now, I thought I'd be a little further along. I have the great privilege of being a father to three children, and, and I found myself kind of asking that same question. To be honest with you, I thought that I would be a really great father. See, when I was about 13, 14 years old, I used to babysit for my cousins, and I would go over to their house. Their parents would order a pizza. Uh, we'd watch a movie together. We'd play a game, and then I would leave. <laughs> and I would think to myself, this is easy. I'm killing it. Right? And then I would hear parents talk about how difficult it is to raise children. And I'm like, can't you just call for a pizza? Just like pop in a movie, play a game. It's not that hard. <laughs> and then I actually had children. And I thought, holy smokes, this is a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. James, I, I thought by now you would be a little further along. I thought that same thing as I've, I've lived out the Christian life. To be quite honest with you, I thought the trajectory of the Christian life would be a whole lot like a fighter pilot taking off. 
You'd be able to look back and you just would be able to see exponential growth year after year after year after year. Um, and yet, quite, quite honestly, I find myself, instead of resting in my identity in Jesus, I have an identity crisis. Uh, instead of seeing my faith be, be bold and strong and, and always growing, there are moments when it seems uh, feeble or it fluctuates or it's flimsy. And I find myself telling myself, James, I thought by now uh, you would be a little further along. Um, here's the deal. I don't think that I'm the only one. I suspect that you probably have thought the same thing, uh, perhaps about others, but if you were being honest with yourself, you probably would say, no, I felt that about myself, uh, my own life, my own heart, my own walk with God. One of the things that I love about God's word is it's so practical for us. It addresses the issues that we think about, the issues that we wrestle with, um, and, and it does it all of the time. Uh, the Apostle Paul does it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me there. Uh, this morning, I just want to give hope to those who wish they were a little further along. I want to give hope uh, to those who wish uh, they were a little further along. Uh, before we begin, to, we begin to unpack this passage this morning, though, I want us to be uh, reminded of, of the audience because this letter was written to someone. Uh, and we're told early in the book of Philippians by the Apostle Paul that this letter is written uh, to the saints in Christ Jesus. Right, so the words that I speak to you this morning are addressed uh, to the saints in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but there are times when I read Paul's letters, and oftentimes they're addressed to the saints, and yet the saints uh, don't always act very saintly. Did you ever notice that? Uh, and yet here we read that th this letter is to be received by people who are saints. And so I read that and I go, well, who are the saints? And, and we know in Scripture that the saints are those who know and believe the gospel. Right? Scripture teaches us that we were born into sin. Our sin separated us from God. The things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we think uh, were opposed to God's laws and uh, commands. Uh, God is a just and a holy God, and so he can't ignore our sin. He can't ignore our brokenness. He can't simply sweep it under the rug or turn a blind eye to it or say, hey, let's let bygones be bygones. Uh, he must address it because he is holy and he is just and he is righteous. But God uh, is also gracious and he's merciful. And so he sent Jesus, fully God and fully man, uh, to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. Uh, when Jesus was crucified, the punishment that belonged to me and to you was placed upon Jesus. The wrath of the Father was placed upon Christ. Uh, Jesus was buried, uh, but he was raised to life, defeating death and offering life to his sons and to uh, his daughters. Uh, that life with God can be uh, yours this morning. And so listen, if you're here this morning and you're checking out the faith or you feel like you're on the outside of the faith or you're considering coming back uh, to the faith, I want you to know that I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I want you to know that these words that we read from Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 can uh, be true of you today uh, by faith. And so we read Paul's words in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and he writes, And I am sure of this, uh, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, Paul begins this passage and he says, I am sure of this. I love that he wrote that because I'm finding in my life sometimes the things that we thought we were sure of at one point we're no longer sure of. Have you had that experience before? When I was growing up and a teenager, quite honestly, I, I was sure of everything. Right? And I reminded my parents that I was sure of everything. But to be quite honest with you, as I've grown a little bit older, the things that I once was sure of, I don't know if I'm sure of them anymore. Dudley mentioned to you that I'm from Michigan, and so I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And when I was a little kid, I was sure that the Detroit Lions would win the Super Bowl. I'm just not so sure anymore. But, and then I kind of reached a point where I was like, James, that's being a little overly aggressive. And then I was like, you know, I am sure that the Lions are going to win a playoff game. I'm not so sure anymore. And now I'm just like, if they could just make the playoffs, just make the playoffs. Come on. You ever find that at one point in your life you were sure of something, but now you, you just don't quite know? I, lo I love this because Paul's going, I am, I am sure of this. This is what I'm about to write to you. You can bank on. It can be trusted. I'm, I'm sure of this. What is Paul sure of? He's sure that God started a good work in you. He who began a good work in you. Uh, we learn right away that God initiated uh, the work. God, God initiated the work in you and in me. Right? He, he, he started the work. But there are a number of different ways that God forms us and shapes us and changes us. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Dudley talked about how God uh, uses the, the truth of his word and he uses trials uh, to form and to shape his sons and daughters. Um, God also uses voices of godly men and women to come alongside of us and to speak truth into our hearts and into our lives. Uh, he uses you and me, the decisions that we make, the things that we say yes to or the things that we say no to uh, matter in our formation. All of those things are true, and yet Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that the, that the initiator of this work, ground level, the, the solid floor that this is built upon, is God. Right? The, the God of the universe initiated a work in you, and that work started in you, uh, not because you were smarter than someone else. It wasn't simply because you read the right book. It's not because you're a little more advanced than your neighbor and he or she hasn't been able to figure it out yet, but you have. Now, Paul says to the church at Philippi, God started the work. That, that means your formation, your life change isn't all about you. Right? It, it is not a self-improvement project. It's not something that you look at and you just think, well, I need, I need to try a little harder. I need to get my stuff in order. I need to be a little more disciplined. I need to pick myself up by the bootstraps. No, Paul's saying that God initiated this work. It is he who is working in you. The second thing that we notice is that this, this work that God is doing is a work of life transformation. Life transformation, the theological word for it is sanctification. It is the lifelong, lifelong process of God forming and shaping us, changing us into the image of Jesus. 
When scripture talks about this process, when scripture talks about being sanctified, there's a sense oftentimes where it is a completed work. Scripture teaches us that it's something that God has done. It's something, though, that God is doing right now. He's forming and shaping us, and it's something that he will complete in the future. Um, Some theologians put it like this, that that God has uh, saved us from uh, the penalty of sin. Uh, We are being saved by the power of sin, and we will be saved by uh, the presence or from the presence of sin. Um, so, so Paul is saying that God is doing a work of life transformation in you. Um, do you believe that the God of the universe changes people? Right? Do, you, do you believe that the God of the universe changes people? And the reason that I ask you that question is, is not simply uh, to get an easy amen. It's because um, oftentimes, quite honestly, I, I wrestle uh, with that idea. And I I wrestle with that idea because it's so easy for me in life to become cynical. It's so easy for me to look at people or look at myself and just go, well, they just kind of are who they are. You know, people say it's tough to teach an old dog new tricks, right? And I know that. I have a dog. I have a Jack Russell Terrier. He's four. My friends keep telling me he's going to settle down eventually. They're lying. He's not. I can't teach him any new tricks. I couldn't teach him old tricks. My dog knows no tricks. And yet, sometimes we have that mentality with people where we say, well, we can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can't change the stripes on a zebra. Or or we walk around and have kind of a, a Popeye mentality that says, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. You, you look at someone and you just go, oh, well, that's just so-and-so being so-and-so. That's just Bob being Bob, which means I really wish that Bob would change, but I don't trust that he is. If Bob is here this morning, I love you, brother. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there, we got one in the back. Thank you, brother. Man, God can do a work in you, Bob. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. What? you're here this morning and there's someone in in your life that you look at, a a Sue, a Mary, and you're just going, well, that's just just Sue being Sue. That's what she does. And you kind of shrug your shoulders and you think, well, she's not going to change. Or that's just James being James. I wish he wouldn't operate that way. I wish he wouldn't act that way, but that's just the way that he is. So so when I ask the question, do you you believe that God changes people? I mean, really, really think about that. Does does God change us? Can God change us? Because there's that side of of me where I just get cynical and I just go, well, it's just, this is the way it's going to be. And yet I tell people all the time about a God who who spoke the world into existence. I I get to tell people that God upholds the world with the word of his power. I get to tell people that the God you know and and love and and serve is the same God um, that gives sight and puts foreign armies to flight. This God that you know and, and serve is the same God that can multiply bread and raise the dead. Right, so so when you find yourself thinking to yourself, well, that's just they're not gonna change. 
Says who? Says who? Well, it's, I mean, it's the way they've always been. Okay. So what? Well, it's been a number of years. <laughs> okay. God, God changes people. I had a friend tell me one time that, James, um, all things are little things to God. All things are little things to God. So the thing that, that you and I look at and go, there is no way. It's a small thing to the God of the universe. This change that Paul talks about, the, the change that Scripture teaches us happens uh, in us is not simply a change where uh, we stop doing some things that we shouldn't do and start doing some things that we, we should do. I mean, it, it's not only or, or just God changing some of our actions. It's God changing us, right? God is in the business of changing hearts, of taking hearts of stone and making them hearts of, of flesh, right? The God of the universe changes not just our actions or the things that we do or don't do. He changes um, our affections. He changes our desires, and so there are times in your life when you're really passionate about one thing and you find yourself chasing one thing. Well, when God begins to grow you, sometimes you look at that thing and you go, That's just, it's just not so appealing to me anymore. Even though there was a time when I was really passionate about it, even though there was a time when I would have given anything for it, um, there's times when we just look back and we just go, I just, doesn't mean everything to me anymore. And there's times where there are things in life that we don't care about or that we aren't interested in, and God changes our hearts in such a way that we care about the things that God cares about, and we love the things that God loves, and he, he changes our affections. He changes our desires. That is the kind of change that glorifies God. That is the kind of change that exalts Christ. That is the kind of change that Paul's talking about when he writes to the church at Philippi and he tells them that God began a good work in you. It's, it's a work of life transformation. And we're told uh, here in verse six, 6 that God's work uh, is good. Right, the, the work is good. Two things to notice there. The first is that it's work. Life transformation changes is work. And I, I wish that I could tell you that I could sit on a lazy boy or you could sit on a lazy boy and turn on the television and watch uh, the latest playoff game and two and a half, three hours later turn off the TV and go, you know what? I think I'm more like Jesus now. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. You know why it doesn't work that way? Because it's work. It's work. I don't say that to discourage you, but to prepare you. But the other thing that Paul says is that it's good. Right? It's, a, it's a good work. And so there are times when it doesn't feel like a good work. Do you ever find yourself at a point in time in life when God is working in you, and he's working in you in the mess? Man, it is like trial by fire. I think all of us here would, would love to grow in our relationship with the Lord by, by just being blessed. Like just receiving one blessing after the next. I'm just blessed. God is so good to me, so good to me, so good to me, so good to me, and he is. Uh, but oftentimes God forms and shapes us, not in our mountaintop experiences, but in the valley. 
It's when he does the hard work and the difficult work, but that work is good. Here's the deal. God doesn't mess with his kids. He's not messing with you. He is not out to get you. He may be trying to get a hold of you, uh, but he is not out to get you. God started, he initiated a work in you. That work is life transformation. It is good. It is work. And we're told that God is doing this work, a uniquely good work in you. God is working in you. In you. God, God doesn't just work in the elite special forces of the Christian community. Right? God is not just doing a good work in the pastors or the ministry leaders or the seminary professors or the authors. God, God's doing a good work in you, student. God's doing a good work in you. When you go to school and you feel like you are in a mass of humanity, when you are trying to find your way, when you are feeling and experiencing things that you don't have a category for and you don't know what to do with it, God cares about you. God knows you and he loves you and he's working in you. Right? Single mom who feels like you are living out Groundhog's Day. Right? Every day it's the same thing over and over and over again. And you get up and you make lunches and you change diapers and you pick up toys and you tell your husband, I wouldn't wear that. And you prepare meals and you welcome the kids home and you do it all over again the next day. In those moments, God is doing a good work in you. Blue-collar worker get up early in the morning, you pack your lunch, you punch the clock, eight to five, eight to six, and you come home and you're tired and your hands are dirty and your knees are a little bloody. You've been working hard. And it may feel like the rest of the world around you is accomplishing big and important things and you're just trying to get by. Do you know that the God of the universe knows you and loves you and he is doing a good work in you? white-collar worker, CEO, president, and you're making decisions, and then you're feeling stress, and you've got anxiety that you feel like the world doesn't understand or doesn't know about. You feel like everyone wants something from you or is taking something from you. Do you know that the God of the universe is doing a good work in you? God knows you, and he loves you, and he's doing a good work in you, a uniquely good work in you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are uh, God's workmanship. Where's workmanship? We are, uh, we are his masterpiece. You. You are God's masterpiece. Triune God of the universe that made you, that created you, that thought of you long before you were ever born. It's like he's going, hey, look at, look at this person over here. Look at what I'm doing with them. Here's a masterpiece. Oh, look who just walked in. Oh, come here, come here. Let me show you another masterpiece. Person over there, yeah, that, that's another one of my masterpieces. Now you are a masterpiece. God, God's doing a good 
work in you. And I love what Paul says to the church at Philippi. He says that this work that God initiated, this good work, this work, this uniquely good work in you, um, God is going to finish what he starts. He says in verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Here's the good news. The good news is that God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts. Have you ever started a project before and not finished it? Right? I've, I've done that before. I've done that before. When we first moved into our home 10 years ago, I was painting our master bathroom. And I remember there was this one corner in the master bathroom that for the life of me, I just could not reach with the paintbrush. And so I just left it there. And, uh, and my wife, bless her heart, was going like, hey, uh, were you going to get that in the, in the corner there? I'm like, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't reach it. You know, I'm not, you guys probably can't tell, but I'm not super tall. And, uh, and I was, I just, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I tried on the stepladder. I just, I just can't get it. And it really bothered me at first. It really bothered me the first day. Uh, and then the second day uh, when I walked in, I noticed it. You know, I was doing some other things, but I was brushing my teeth. I was like, oh, there it is, you know, in, in the corner. Like day three, I'm on to other things, right? And it just stayed there. It stayed there until last year. This is 10 years later. Uh, I wish I could say I'm joking. I'm not. And the realtor came in our house because we were looking to sell, and he was telling us some projects that we needed to take care of and some things that needed to get fixed. And he's like, you really need to, to touch up your paint. I don't know if you guys have had this experience before, but uh, when you go to sell your house, what you have to do is you have to uh, make your house look like how you've wanted it to look um, the whole time you've been in there. Um, so you can sell it to someone else and they can either change everything or, or just secretly go, I don't know why they sold. This is really nice. And so, so I see the spot that I have to paint and I go out to the garage and I get a ladder and I walk in the bathroom with my paintbrush and my gallon of paint and I start going up the steps. And in my mind, I'm going, I couldn't reach that 10 years ago. Like, this is why I didn't finish. It's not a bit, this takes 30 seconds. But I'm walking up the ladder and I stop and I, there's like three or four steps that I haven't even gotten on yet. And I look and I'm like eyeball level with that corner that I never finished painting. And I'm just praying that my wife doesn't find out about it. I'm just like... <laughs> She's like downstairs going, how are things going? I'm like, I'm trying to get there. I can almost reach it. And meanwhile, it's like right here. I just, for, I just forgot about it. I started it and didn't finish it. You know, the God of the universe always finishes his projects. He, he never, he never leaves his kids undone. Right? If, he, if he started a good work in you, he's going to finish it. And you might be thinking, well, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been 10 years. I, I, wish, I wish he would do something in his life or in her life or in my life. Well, no, I mean, Paul, Paul says that this work that God started, he is going to finish. Every, every corner, every unfinished piece of molding, God will finish uh, the work that he started. God will finish the work in you when he is finished uh, with you. God will finish the work in you when he is finished with you. God is finished with you, we're told by Paul, at the day of Jesus Christ. That means that the day that we see Jesus face to face is the day that God has done with us. 
Right, so this is true if you're five and six years old and God's given to you faith and opened your eyes to the goodness of the gospel. It's true when you're six. It's true uh, when you're 36. It's true when you're 66 or 96. Like if you are here this morning and you have breath, and I'm assuming you do because you're still tracking with me, right, God's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. God finishes what he starts. Do you know someone who's a little rough around the edges? Do you know someone that you, that you look at or that you know or that you work with or that you do life with where you're going, man, I wish God would do something in them. You know, if, if, if they are his son or daughter, rest assured he is. He's, he's not done with them yet. We are still a work in process. We're still a work in process. I, I specifically say that we're a work in process because sometimes when we say we're a work in progress, we just assume that the trajectory of the Christian life is going to be like the fighter jet I talked about earlier. And we're going to always look back and go, oh, I remember when I was like that. I'm so glad that I'm not like that anymore. But, but I think the Christian life is a work in process. That means that it looks oftentimes more like a roller coaster ride with some ups and downs and twists and turns than it does a rocket ship taking off uh, to the sky. We are a work in process. I love what theologian Martin Luther wrote. Uh, he says, This life, therefore, is not health, but healing. Uh, not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. Uh, the process is not yet finished, but it is going on. Uh, this is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. I love that quote. He says, the process is not yet finished, uh, but it is going on. That's good news for you and me. But that's good news if you're here this morning and you still wrestle with jealousy after all of these years. But that's good news for you this morning if uh, you still uh, wrestle with your anger or your temper. It's good news for you if you haven't quite been able to tame your tongue yet. It's good news for those who are crippled by fear or who struggle uh, with insecurity. It's good news for those who, who wrestle often uh, with unbelief or doubt. It is good news for those among us who feel like there are times in life when we have a divided heart, when there's this tug uh, taking place. It's good news for those of us, in other words, who are human. That we, that you, that me, that God's kids are a work in process. And this process is not yet finished, uh, but it is going on. I love uh, what Dudley said earlier when he began the service, when he, when he talked about this metaphor or this idea of, of a construction project. Um, I, I thought of the, the tombstone, the gravestone of uh, Ruth Bell Graham. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Billy Graham uh, Library. And she has written on her, on her gravestone, uh, End of Construction. Uh, thank you for your patience. Now, if you're here this morning, if you have a breath and it can say under construction, thanks for your patience. Because you and I are, are under construction. I want to tell you three things that this produces in you and me. The first thing that it produces in us is uh, a certain humility. And the reason that this 
This idea that knowing this produces humility in us is because we know that we are where we are today, right now, in this moment, uh, because of the grace of God. I mean, it's, it's just because of the grace of God. It's not because we've figured things out and all these other smucks just haven't been able to catch up. No, it's, it's, it's we are where we are because of the grace of God, because the God of the universe spoke our name, because the God of the universe changed our hearts and is changing us. And so you know what that does is it just develops humility in us. When we interact with one another, when we get frustrated with each other, when we think to ourselves, man, I wish that he or she would be a little further along, we're reminded that the God of the universe is, is doing this good work. And it develops a certain humility in us. The second thing that it uh, develops is patience. Patience. Develops patience. Uh, it's the one thing that oftentimes is hard to come by for us, especially in our culture. Uh, Dudley mentioned earlier this morning that I, I recently had a, uh, an injury on the soccer field. I was, uh, I was playing soccer well, actually, my, my wife told our neighbor that I was trying to play soccer. I, I quickly corrected her and said, oh, <laughs> au contraire, I was playing soccer. And uh, I, was, I was trying this very difficult soccer maneuver. I was running. And, um, and she was fast. And she had the ball. And I was trying to take it away, and I, and I went to change directions, and my knee popped. Right, and I hit the ground, and they, they, uh, this was kind of neat. They carried me off the field, and it was the only time in my athletic career where I heard the audience applaud. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so for the last eight months, uh, I really haven't been able to do a whole lot. You know, I haven't been able to exercise. And, uh, but, but one of the things that I have been able to do uh, is eat. <laughs> And it's, and it's weird, I found uh, over the last eight months when you don't exercise and then you just eat, uh, this crazy thing happens. <laughs> Thinking of writing a book about it. But I just, you know, I, I put on a couple pounds and a couple weeks ago, and I say, I use couple loosely. Right, I won't give you the number. It was a lot. I remember I finally was like, you know, I need to do something. And so I'm like, I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to do something about this. And I pulled out the scale and I stepped on the scale. And uh, there was a number staring back at me that I hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, oh, looky there. Hello. Uh, let's do something about that. And so I went, I went on a really strict diet um, for three days. And uh, like I really watched what I was eating and calorie intake and all that stuff. And then three days later, I got on a scale and I, I noticed that I had lost uh, 0.2 pounds. Um, like like 0.2 pounds. And I looked at it and I'm like, this isn't even worth it. I'm done. I don't want to do this. Right? Because, because I lived a certain way for eight months and over that eight months, this certain thing happened. And then... I, I had tried to change for 72 hours and I was frustrated and I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of done. I don't want to do it anymore. And I think sometimes we have that same mentality with, with spiritual growth and with God changing us. We, we think to our, ourselves, we have these moments where we're like, oh, I want something to happen here. I want to change. I want to do something about this. I want, and, and, then, and then it's like, we, we, we're like, okay, I'm going to give it 72 hours. And then we're like, I'm done. No, but but God, God changes us over a lifetime. 
It's over a lifetime. Right, so listen, when, when, when you're like round and third and heading home, when you're like in the fourth quarter of life, like God's still working on you. Like he's not done with you. Like he's gonna be doing things in, in your heart and changing things in your heart that maybe you didn't even know were there. And he's doing that when you're eight, when you're 18, and when you're 48, and when you're 88. The third thing that I think this does in us is it produces um, this, this beautiful kind of hope, this, this biblical hope. When I say biblical hope, what I mean is that the hope that I'm talking about is not just like a cross your fingers kind of hope. It's not the hope that I've had for the last 48 hours where I've hoped that the sun would come out, right? I hope the weather changes. I hope this change. I hope this is, no, the, like biblical hope is hope that is, that is grounded and founded in the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the promises of God. Right, and so, so when scripture says that God is doing something in me and he's doing something in you and he's gonna finish the work that he started, then, then, our, then our hearts can be full of hope because we know that God's word is trustworthy, that it is true. Uh, we have hope because the process is not yet finished, but it is going on. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Isn't that a beautiful promise? We'll see him as he is. Our, our hearts will be changed. God will, will finally finish uh, the work in us. Listen, BBCC, brothers and sisters, uh, sons and daughters of the one true high king. God is doing a work in you. Uh, my prayer for you and for me is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he may give us humble hearts, uh, that he may grant to us the patience that we're so desperate for, and that he would fill our hearts uh, with hope. To those who are here this morning who wish uh, you were a little further along, uh, I want you to know that there are a lot of things uh, that I do not know. But I am sure of this, uh, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for uh, the good work that you have started in your sons and daughters. I thank you for the good work that you uh, have done and the work that you are doing and the work that you will do in the days ahead. God, I pray that, that you would uh, continue to form and shape us. I pray that you would uh, continue to change our hearts, to change and alter our affections, to do a good work uh, in us for your glory. 
Uh, for those who are here this morning who, who may uh, feel as if they are on the outside of the faith looking in or considering the faith, Lord, I pray by the spirit of the living God that you would do a mighty work in their hearts and in their minds. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes and help them uh, to see your goodness. Uh, God, thank you so much that you are the great finisher. Uh, we love you, Lord, only because you loved us first. Pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit. Amen.